Welcome to Weapon of Choice, a podcast where creatives across mediums give us insight into the weaponry of their art. Each episode, you'll be hearing an interview with an artist who uses their art as a weapon of choice for social change and disruption, visibility and justice, cultural critique and resistance, among other things that ignite social consciousness and community action. These artists will tell us about their journeys toward the battles they are fighting, how they design, sharpen, and develop their artistic weaponry to strike a blow against injustice in the world. Welcome back to Weapon of Choice, y'all. This is Andrew. This is Tommy. And we are four episodes away from the end of season two what a ride it has been yes yes we're winding down the season we're winding down 2018 um i don't know like andrew for you does a new year feel like do you really feel any element of fresh start no <laughs> <laughs> No, because the you, you sometimes keep, wish that you yeah, felt it. I think, yeah, definitely, because I feel like the grind just keeps going. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, <laughs> you know, probably involve a movie or two. Yeah, nothing really, nothing really different. Still going to be dark here in Minnesota with this winter. I guess it's starting to get lighter again, but yeah, I don't know. It's all floating by, and uh, we try to just swim. Catch the best waves, you know, do this life. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what do we got? Still have, um, including to including this episode, we've mm-hmm. still got two New York interviews to release. That's this right. being one of them where um, the all, all of them took place in Brooklyn, all four of them. And uh, we went and hung out and sat down and had a conversation with Sahar. That was a good time, right, Andrew? Absolutely. So we're going to get into that in a moment. Just wanted to remind y'all that you can find us online on the social media where we love to interact, hear your feedback, chit chat, send us a DM, a message on Facebook or Instagram or what have you. Mm-hmm. Obviously, our Instagram, nothing's changed there, at Weapon of Choice Podcast. Same goes for Facebook, at Weapon of Choice Podcast. And on Twitter, we are at Weapon Choice Pod. Tweet at us. Get at us. Um, look up our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash weapon of choice podcast to see the little community that has been spurring us along with their monthly giving, their monthly contributions at $1 or more per month that can, you know, help aid us in growing the show and inspiring us to keep making quality quality interviews to bring the world and we really appreciate everyone who's been chipping in and if you've got a little spare cash um or if you know someone who would like to and you'd like to contribute on their behalf we would appreciate that if you go to our patreon that's patreon.com forward slash weapon of choice podcast we appreciate all the love and all the giving to help keep us going and growing as usual that's right and yeah and just to reiterate thank you everybody who's already a uh a monthly contributor we so so appreciate it uh these new york episodes would not have happened without your support um and you know on that horizon as well tommy and i are waiting this week to hear back from a grant that we applied for to take this show to the next level so hey if you know of any uh grants or opportunities that you think weapon of choice should be applying for definitely hit us up uh 
we are we are open to all avenues. <laughs> yeah. Um, and quick shout out to I know that maybe we haven't shouted out uh, our our newest uh, Patreon members, our Weapon of Choice community members contributing monthly. That's Darius, Jamie, and Matt for sure. But shout out to everyone who's giving once again. We really appreciate that. So let's get into this episode. We sat down with Sahar. Sahar was born to Pakistani immigrants in the San Francisco Bay Area, where she grew up between the East and West Coast. She's a freelance photographer and writer, or at least started off as that. And these days, her talents themselves are a unique interdisciplinary artist pursuit, which includes merging multimedia and community facilitation. The heart of her work is rooted in healing and social change, and their inextricable link to art, media, and culture. She consistently endeavors upon creative projects, initiatives, works, spaces, movements to help elevate the way we exist as humans. And y'all are going to really appreciate the depth of this interview. We had a joyous time talking to Sahar. We hope you will too. Roll it. Let's go. Uh, my name is Sahar. I am a Pakistani American living in Brooklyn, New York. If I had to claim a place as home, I'd claim the Bay and the Bay Area, California. There's only one. I know there's one in like Maryland, but that one doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I am a photographer primarily by trade and uh, amidst kind of a, a long-term transition into being more of an interdisciplinarian. So I also write, I'm revisiting holding spaces for communities and um over the last several years i've really delved more into my personal journey in wellness so my interest very much lies in the integration and intersectionality of uh, art media culture healing and social impact and the myriad of different ways that those different things can come together Mm-hmm. and do cool shit. <laughs> so your choice of weapons are several, obviously. Mm-hmm. But what battles are you fighting? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know if I would want to call them battles. Don't have to. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of like, what an alternative phrase for that would be, but what it is I'm trying to address or what are my areas of focus? Even when it's not a camera, what are you trying to point the lens toward? Point society or community or audience's eye toward? Yeah. In any of those disciplines? Yeah. I think what I was going to say, and then when you said it that way, is that I feel like my starting point is definitely me, my internal world and and self, because I think the way that I want to really help and serve um, society, community, you know, humanity is, is rooted and inspired by my own journey in, in wellness and my own journey in wellness, obviously um, kind of spurred by my own individual traumas and challenges coming up over the years, all the way from um, childhood to early adulthood to now I'm 35 years old. Um, 
So in that, I think that because the type of work I want to do in community with other people is inspired by my own personal journey, what I want to turn the lens on in society is everyone else's individual journey to wellness and to personal truth and how those things are deeply uh, intertwined with everything really and how, how we do anything. I think that's, that's a good kind of um, segue into uh, something I, I had read um, on your website actually and you mm-hmm. talked about creating potent and inspiring medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love that phrasing. And I'd just love to hear you sort of extrapolate on the medicine of your work. Yeah. What's it, what's it treating? What it's, what is it healing? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I was raised, uh, in a Muslim family. So Muslims being people that follow Islam. And I would say over the last few years, I don't quite identify as Muslim anymore. I identify more as generally spiritual, but a lot of, um, the things that are, or the ideals or values wrapped up in my spiritual, you know, existential philosophy can also be seen as metaphysical and therefore don't necessarily have to, um, one doesn't have to be a spiritual being to uh, resonate with some of what I believe about how the world is organized. Um, mm-hmm. But medicine. So I think that I had like a, a thread that I was thinking about and then I lost it. But what I was going to say, and maybe I'll, I'll catch back up to it, is that I was raised Muslim. And even in that time, what st- like stuck with me most was the, the spirituality. And um, I was always also really into the idea of just self-improvement and personal growth. Mm-hmm. And my mom... Um, she was just always really casually into psychology. And I think that that rubbed off onto me. And then also probably maybe, you know, biologically, genetically, it's just how I'm, um, my brain is wired and how I'm organized. I've always been really, really curious about, um, and, and even passionate, you can say about, um, the, the nature of humans from both the psychological and sociological sense. And then, um, I was raised to have, um, you know, just strong humanist values, whatever one wants to ascribe to that um, from a young age. And so in that caring about people. And so then if you take psychology and interest in psychology and sociology, then what I was most vested in from Mm -hmm. that vantage point was um, how can we look at people through these lenses in a way that can help people or help people um, feel better or be better or do better with themselves and with each other. Mm-hmm. And so the medicine, I think, is so many different things. You know what I mean? I think the, the medicine, uh, so I think the medicine for me, it comes back to, that's where I was going with this thread, is for me, everything comes down to the human condition. Mm-hmm. And that is really the the birthplace of all healing and and all pain and so that's what i was talking about spirituality so spiritually metaphysically my my world and existential view is very much that all that exists that is quote-unquote evil in this world let's just take earth to keep it simple for now um 
is a function of uh, the mass consciousness, you know, the, our metaphysically, our, our collective consciousness. Um, and that very much lies in our subconscious, actually, I believe. So things that we're not even aware of, trauma that we're holding on, whether it's ancestrally, generationally, um, past lives, if you believe in that sort of thing. Um, yeah, and, and what that, that holds in our, in, in the fabric of the, the energetic makeup that is all of us that makes up the universe. Um, and then from a scientific standpoint, uh, this, the study of epigenetics mm-hmm. has actually shown that we uh, carry trauma in our DNA. Mm. And in fact, healing, um, different types of healing work can um, transform uh, the way that our DNA is organized. So therefore to heal future generations. So I have a very spiritual metaphysical view <coughs> of um, the, the things that ail society and that, that have then birthed a need for something such as social justice. So that is why I think medicine to me was a resonant metaphor or descriptor because I do think at the end of the day, um, for, for one of the focal or central points of how I look at social justice and that I'm still unpacking is that I really, really think the crux of it lies in, in healing ourselves individually and collectively. And so that's, again, why the word medicine really relates to me. So medicine being um, healing our individual and collective traumas here and now, but then digging back again Mm -hmm. into the past and um, with our respective ancestors, what that means and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And medicine in and of itself, it can be a little bit more literal. It can be allopathic medicine if absolutely necessary. I'm more, I'm inclined towards um, naturopathic medicine. Um, So that kind of medicine as well. Um, And then things, you know, that are becoming more popular in the recent years, such as um, energy work and, Mm -hmm. you know, over the last probably couple decades, yoga and and different types of body work, mind body work um, is medicine. So that's still kind of maybe along the literal sphere. But then I think medicine can be anything, right? We were talking about before we just started, Tommy, about art as medicine. Mm-hmm. And so that can be medicine. A conversation can be medicine. Um, a, you know, a hand on the shoulder can be medicine. Em- empathetic, um, engaged, deep listening can be medicine. I, and really, when thinking about how do I tie together this intersection that I mentioned at the opening um, of our recording, uh, I came up with a concept or phrase called healing ethos. And so for me, I think that that is what I would want to infuse into everything I do. Healing being both the means and the end. So healing Mm. ethos being the means, meaning again, it doesn't have to be literal um, physical body healing or even energetic healing or all these different practices and, um, you know, new agey things that are really, you know, popular nowadays. It can also Mm -hmm. just be certain values and again deep listening community empathy um you know just 
openness and fluidity to different ways of existing. You know, you asked my pro- pronouns earlier, things like that. Um, fluidity in, in what we accept as um, acceptable ways to work and live and be and in family structures and everything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So... So, okay, you know, you, you said there's there's some gained popularity with, you know, uh, yoga and sitting meditation and um, <laughs> and a lot of people obviously benefiting financially more so yeah. these days. But uh, so, I mean, and even healing, the word healing, yeah, even in social justice mm-hmm. circles and worlds and mm-hmm. It has become a buzzword of sorts. Yeah. What is healing justice and healing for social justice really about? Like, is there such a thing as toxic healing, toxic healers? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Is that? Um, so what is it really about? The, the healing beyond the buzz of it all these days? For sure. Yeah. So I think it's cool that you mentioned that. Um, I think that there's a shit ton I can say about that. I mean, even what you just said about um you know, people make a lot of people making money off of it that, and then you just kind of let it trail. Right. So like fill in the blank, but, um, Mm -hmm. we live in America and I Mm -hmm. feel like just like everything else, um, healing wellness and, and the current trend, just like how, you know, um, what's happening with cannabis right now, marijuana, um, it's being co-opted by white people and well-to-do white people. And, Healing and wellness is absolutely no exception. Yoga, it was obvious with that, but then, um, well, that's, you know, also comes from India, South Asia, and as many other healing modalities do too. To be fair, I don't know really anything about them all, save that they exist, but I do know that um, European, um, people with European ancestries um, do have their indigenous healing traditions too. They're just not as widely popularized in America for whatever reason. So the ones that are are the ones that are co-opted like those from um, East and Southeast Asia. And even now with um, the popularization of shamanism, South America um, and Africa actually. Yeah. So shamanistic traditions exist there as well. So um, there's that. And I think that that's highly problematic and that's one way of looking at the toxicity of healing and that it is in ways being used to um, perpetuate certain uh, oppressive structures that already exist. And (laughs) yeah, that's its own podcast. I mean, I can't speak, I can't, I can't speak to it in, in, in super depth. I don't have expertise on it, but from a kind of a social communal Mm -hmm. um, observational perspective for instance being on instagram where we connected there is a really beautiful healing community on there and you know and subsections of and breakouts of those healing communities and um on there i came across a a woman who lives in Qatar, and uh she i don't know fully what her background is but she is a black woman and um muslim and into various types of healing and her handle is Layla l-a-y-l-a-f as in frank sad s-a-a-d and she she used to go by wild mystic woman on there she recently changed it but she and another woman named catrice on there actually held these um educational 
um, phone calls about, uh, I forget exactly how they titled it, but it was, it was basically like about white supremacy for mm. spiritual white women. And it was, it was just like an educational, maybe one, two hour call. And they maybe had thousands of signups and it was intense. And mm. it, it led Layla, who sees herself more as a poet and an educator to really move from kind of her art, you know, um, and really focusing on her guiding her platform to be whatever she wanted her form of expression to be, to doing this call that really went super viral and then Mm -hmm. pulling her into work that she now, after having done it for several months retrospectively, just recently, at least publicly shared her realization that she's like, yo, like I'm not a social justice edu- like teacher. Like I don't see myself as that. Like that's not what I'm trying to be. She was, she does like mm-hmm. 30 day me and white supremacy challenge. And she put, she just, she dealt with so many posts of hers being taken down arbitrarily all the time by Instagram. Just that's people, nice, you know, yeah. white people with hurt feelings, just te- like flagging Reporting. random shit mm-hmm. and um, just all kinds of like weird, you know, white fragility. Like so just going like, very much um, emblematic of of this idea of like the the toxic structures that be existing within wellness. So people be like, but you know, I'm not the whole like liberal like trope of like, but I'm not racist, you know. But but you kind of are, or you did some racist shit, or like you have you always have something to work on, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just because you teach yoga and went to India twenty times and like some like you know guru or whatever like. That's you're her ad- take your thousands of dollars yeah know? or like it's like you're some guru's like adopted daughter according to him doesn't mean that you are <laughs> like exempt from life you know and just like people like that just being on her feet and mm-hmm. her doing shit tons of emotional Ugh, labor yeah. mm-hmm. you know and be like i'm not going to do this for free and that's just, you know a form of violence on people of color women of color and at that you know a whole other echelon that um in america specifically you know black women face and so that is one of, I'm sure, many anecdotes of mm-hmm. what um, toxicity um, within American wellness communities can look like, especially from, again, within the, within the constructs of, of oppression that currently exist. I think that, you know, access is a really, really huge issue uh, to wellness. Mm-hmm. Yoga is a perfect example of yoga, you know, was popular earlier of what shouldn't happen and i think that people are hyper sensitive and aware to that as things like reiki and meditation and herbalism and you know shamanic trainings right I mean, you know the shamanic thing is also a whole other you know can of worms which again i have a cursory understanding of but like as i have do understand shamanism is something that you're born into it's uh, it's a lineage it's passed down that being said, um, I know, you know, someone on the internet named Shaman Durek, and he um, is a shaman by, you know, birth lineage. And, you know, he believes in, and in a lot of different disciplines, this is coming up or modalities or traditions that the, the earth is in such a, a crisis pivot point right now in terms of just all the fuck shit that's going on (laughs) that uh, kind of certain age old rules are going out the window so there are certain shamans like shaman direct who do believe that 
hey, even though historically this is meant to be like a passed down type of thing, I need to start teaching my shamanic tools to other people too, mm. outside of the tradition. So that's, it's, it's a little bit of like a can yeah. of worms, but that too, it's like there's, you know, like white people out here just like totally co-opting shamanism and it's like really intense and really weird. And, you know, like I, I don't like, the name is like, I don't want to like call out anyone in specific just for the sake of like not being on that vibe, but like mm-hmm. the types of, uh, but it's such a good example of like, I can't use that one. I'm trying to see, I'm like, could I make up a fake one that's well, kind of like that? If you say the example without the name, it's still obvious. Or? Because the the name is just such a good example of the oh, phenomenon. The name, itself. The name, the, itself. The name they've given them, their, their social handle or, you know, their... Yeah. Can we ask what it is? Their stage name. No, I don't want to do that. But it's basically like giving yourself like some weird like pop culture like name, you know, or descriptor Mm -hmm. like added to shaman. Like, you know, like being like the lit shaman. Like, okay, there. I came up with an example. That's not the person. But like something like that. You know what I mean? And it's just like, what? Like, and and, and you're a white lady. And making money. (laughs) yeah and And you're charging like bazillions of dollars or whatever like you know or like all your followers or your disciples or whatever like you know all people like you and like just whatever stuff like that so that's the whole thing and i feel like i don't know i i think that i mean another popular buzz term nowadays is the whole like cultural appropriation thing right Mm -hmm. over the last few years and I do feel like because of a lot of boundary stepping and disrespect that has been done in in different ways, one way being cultural appropriation, there has become a hypersensitivity mm-hmm. about certain things where it's like people, you know, there has been some articles out there that have delineated the difference between, um, what's it called? cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I did grow up, like, you know, around people where we would partake in each other's, like, food or some sort of custom or something, you know, and and it's a way of learning about each other and and legitimately appreciating each other and and being that global village um, in a loving and respectful way. So using that analogy to say, I do think that it's okay for people to adopt religions or customs or healing practices that are not uh, of their ancestry but it has to be done in a mindful and respectful way non-capitalistic way (laughs) exactly yeah and so going back to the idea of access right Mm -hmm. all this quote-unquote new shit that's really old shit that's you know coming about all these other healing modalities it's again really only accessible to rich white people and women are the ones that tend to participate in that. And so that's a fascinating mm. flip on the conversation too, right? When you take it. So race is one, one thing, class, you know, is another thing. So um, then, then the idea of gender inclusion, right? And so mm. looking within the binary, okay, you mentioned there, there's men. And then looking beyond the binary, you know, across the spectrum, it's all the other gender identities. How do, how do they find um, inclusion and wellness? And so... I think um, just for, um, well, I, I, I could actually extrapolate this to apply to all gender identities. I was going to say, according to men, or as far as men go, but really it could be as far as 
um, a masculine, any sort of masculine archetype or anyone that's more um, skewed towards masculine energetically, presentation-wise, identity-wise, whatever. There, that's also really problematic, right? About how you have to be, you know, kind of effeminate or this or that to care about feelings and care about wellness or whatever. And that's just, that's toxic too. And that's, um, that is exacerbating the issues that exist because men and masculine identifying people are further continuing to suppress how they feel and not not seeking the the help and community and healing that they need um that they can have and yeah i mean i I can go on and on but i think those are some ways to address toxicity within healing i mean they're they're false they're false leaders and all that kind of there's a lot of ego that comes in the healing space just as you were talking about tommy about you know the the politics of politics the politics of social justice and activism i came up in the bay area and yeah. you know i i wasn't engaged much in social justice communities then but um in my early adulthood i was mm-hmm. you know like just like college age and yeah it's just like just because you know we had to have a term out there i don't know if people use it anymore no one out here knows what it is but called mactivist m-a-c-k oh, yeah. right yeah. and so like, yeah, like dudes that are just, you know, posturing their, you know, activism to to get um, like for, you know, as a romantic um, bring, sexual bring capital. Bring Tinder dates to my restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so like that kind of stuff like exists. Shit. <laughs> it's already happening. Exactly. Like, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that inherently. But yeah, exactly. So um <laughs> That kind of stuff exists in healing, too, just because, you know, you're like some, you know, you've done even if you've done incredible work as Mm -hmm. a healer or whatever, you can still be exploitative. You can still be exclusive. You can be um, abusive. You can be all of these things. And again, yeah, can go on and on about there's so many ways to look at it. Well, you know, obviously healing is a through line in your line of activism and multidisciplinary um, work. And how you approach changing narratives, framing, and facilitating spaces. How does, that, how does that specific lens with which you constantly delve into something provide a healing continuum for yourself? So back to the intro, right? Mm-hmm. So how does so my- you're approaching all these disciplines uh, with it, con- you know, keeping that lens of healing, diving mm-hmm. into these, these creations, anything you create or produce in your work, and that how does that feed your healing continuum mm-hmm. for, for, you know, for your internal self? Yeah. That's an interesting question. I, I feel like they are inextricably linked because like I said, um, my the impetus and desire to even want to explore and put out work in the world having to do with healing for our communities, a la art, whatever, um, is again informed just by how I'm internally, personally organized. They are constantly informing one, one, each other. And at this point, because I still am kind of in this prolonged tradi- transitional um, career pivot and expansion of sorts, mm-hmm. I still very much am in the internal part of it. Like mm-hmm. 
I choose to use the language that I use on the internet and on social media as a way to, um, multifacets like as a kind of like a, a manifestation and like through declaration to be like this is it and so this is what I'm going for as a way to communicate to people that this is this is who I am owning it even though I feel like in many ways I haven't fully stepped into it you know saying this is my identity this is who I am um, but yeah to be completely frank I'm still very much in an internal exploratory phase with it so it's a lot coming from who I am going out into this work. And I will say that how the work comes back and informs me, mm -hmm. the little bit of it that I have done to date, um, consciously in this way, is that it is a constant ego check. Speaking of some of the stuff we were just talking about before, like it is a real mind fuck to try to expand and create a platform in the name of wellness at the same time, um, knowing how human beings work, both myself and, you know, certain people that can be in my audience of what we can do to put people on a pedestal, whether it's other people that are doing that to me or whether that's me and my ego doing that to myself. Mm -hmm. And so I would say right now, even though I'm still in a pretty modest place with <clears throat> how many people know about me and kind of the, um, me and my work and just the, 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 large largeness or lack thereof of my platform in relative terms mm -hmm. um that is something that i find really valuable and humbling to be able to even be aware of and engage at this stage like there's a part of me you know both from a, a survival standpoint of like being a freelance artist like oh i need to get bigger mm -hmm. do bigger i need a bit money i need to live right and then there's that part of it and then there's like the multifaceted ego part of it of like I, I want to be bigger because I deserve it or because she has it and why should I or because I worked mm. harder because when like what the <laughs> fuck ever, you know, and, <laughs> and, um, you know, like, come on life, help me out. Like whatever, you know, whatever my various, um, egoic and. Does that help you sometimes if you're doing it internally saying I deserve that? Um, and maybe that's partly ego, but it's, I guess I'm asking is ego at least internally sometimes necessary to like move forward when you're trying to like get to a next level or create something new. Like you're looking in the mirror, you're saying I'm the shit, but outside you're like, I'm confident, you know? Yeah. I, you know? Yeah. So, okay. So I think that's a slight fork in the road. I'll address that in just a second. Uh -huh. Thank you for that. That is a valid point. Um, and, and a very subtle complex one at that. Um, but so what I was, uh, the point that I was trying to kind of, Sorry. no, 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 it's okay. Um, I am very verbose. So there are a lot of words and twists and turns that go to ultimately trying to make my point. So what I was trying to build up towards is um, that I'm really great. Like despite the, you know, the ego and the survival stuff that makes me want to, you know, a lot of times be like, why isn't my blah, blah, blah bigger or whatever yet? I actually think it's exactly how it's supposed to be right now because it's like there are things that are happening that are requiring me to check my ego right now. And if I was, quote unquote, already really big in my message or what my works were already really mm. out there and I was who I am right now with mm. a whole lot of work to do, mm -hmm. I'd just be another one of those 
fuck ass people. You, know, yeah, you know? Yeah, And yeah. so right now, while I'm still like, quote unquote, relatively like, you know, small time, smaller time, whatever, um, and my work and all of that, um, I have the opportunity to, to look at like, oh, I'm putting this out there and I'm caring about the likes it's getting or, oh, like this person's like, you know, or the comparison that I'm doing of someone else's path versus my path or, or feeling like, you know, if I'm sharing my, um, learnings or, um, you know, wisdom, so to speak, that it doesn't mean that I am any better than anyone else, you know, like on, on a, on an inherent embodied integrated way, not like intellectually understand that intellectually I've known that forever yeah it's a difference between intellectually knowing something and actually being that and that's what mm. i'm talking about and i really 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 want to delve into that more and so at this point in time yes my work is a reflection for biggest really for my ego and for really checking what my motivations are again and am i why again and again and again checking why am i doing what i'm doing why am i doing it why am i doing it and stepping back even and putting things on pause if if i find myself going down a a path or or a or, or a reward model that is is flawed and based on ego and even in the su- the subtlest of ways and even as I grow beyond to maybe a point where I feel comfortable I have to say that that journey is never done because the hu- humans you can't you arguably I mean you can destroy the ego maybe but like by and large you kind of can't you know um so there's that. And so what you were saying about the value of ego, Tommy, um, yeah, uh, ego is there, you know, as far as I know, again, I'm not deeply studied in it, but um, as a survival tool, actually, you know, yeah. evolutionarily, biologically, from what I know. And in that, from that standpoint, for I would say you are correct from both an individual survival standpoint and as a societal, um, what's it called, species survival standpoint, right? So the, you know, the ego can, um, not, can't, don't, don't quote me on this, even though you're quoting me on this because I'm on a podcast, but like, <laughs> don't hold me to it. Sure. Uh, but I, it, I think it might even be that anger, um, something like anger um, or, I know hurt can, but maybe anger can be uh, triggered from the ego, right? There is some a feeling of an assault or an offense, right? Because everything else, if, if, if it's devoid of ego, it's in total neutrality, right? And so if something, yeah, so if something makes you angry or makes you feel hurt or makes you feel upset, for instance, injustice, right? Mm-hmm. It is, in a sense, um, at least in a certain aspect, I think your ego responding to it. And so that desire for there to be better in the world or that desire to do better in the world. Because if you get philosophical about it, I haven't taken a philosophy course or anything, but just vaguely, you know, one of the cornerstone arguments of, you know, philosophy, I think, is that every action is inherently selfish in some way, even like, um, you know, philanthropy and things like that. So if you come at it from that standpoint, right, there's ego in there too. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. On that thread of, look, I'm like the reach, the size that I of an audience I have right now is perfect because I'm still, I'm yeah. still checking things. I'm still working through things. What's what does that look like recently? Yeah, that process that 
and you know be as specific or as vague as you want but like mm -hmm. yeah if, you, if there's like an example you're like last week i was just like kind of working something out hmm There's so many different ways I can go with that because it's literally something I think about all the time. Um, so let me go abroad with it first and then I'll see if I can find a specific example. But it's really, and why I think about it all the time is because the, the main avenue of it right now, especially from a, a scope standpoint, is social media, right? And mm -hmm. social media, um, unfortunately, is something that many of us are addicted to. And... Instagram specifically, again, is somewhere where we, we met. And it's something that a platform that I have particularly struggled with um, since the very beginning. I think I was a relatively early user on it. I can't remember. 2012 something-ish. Um, and I initially just used to put like stupid photos of like what I ate or just like shitty photos. And I've been a photographer the whole time I've been here in New York professional mm -hmm. photographer so then quickly i found that peers were on there really putting up beautiful photos from their actual you know dslr cameras and everything mm -hmm. and they're really curating their feeds doing all this creative stuff it's like fuck like another thing that i have to use to promote my business like why can't i just have anything and one of the challenges <laughs> is a little bit of a side of being a creative freelancer is that just no matter what your your brand your your and, and it's OD now because with the advent of something like an influencer, like they're like, you know, celeb quote unquote celebrity photographers, not people that photograph celebrities, though that's there too, but they in themselves mm. have created enough of a transcendent Went from of chef a brand. To photographers in recent years, right? 15, last 15, 10 years it was celebrity chefs, and now that's happening with photographers. Right, right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they, you know, in and of themselves have a certain, you know, crew that they hang out with or a physical aesthetic or a certain type of following or whatever. And, you know, brands are asking, so whatever. So with that, um, it's, it's, it's kind of hypercharged this focus on not only needing to be a creative, you know, a freelance creative with your own brand, but, Oh, it has to be super, super successful at that. Mm -hmm. And so what that created for me was not even a love hate but just like a hate hate relationship with instagram and i was just mm. like just spited it i was just like tried to do it and then i turn it off for months or years try to do it on and off on and off for years and um a couple years ago after just a really deep personal um spiritual transformation I had a really hard but uh profoundly transformative for the better uh time i think in comprised most of 2016 and after that I, I started revisiting writing in a way I hadn't before just like the little poem quote thingies I put on Instagram mm -hmm. some people call them poems some people call them quotes I don't care um and I was just like look it I just I want to put these on Instagram you know put them in a little square like how people put memes and um mm -hmm. I'm a photographer I don't care if people are confused I'm just going to do this I feel like I need to do it mm -hmm. and so I just started doing it and people started in the beginning, a lot of people were like, are you writing these? You know, I was like, yeah, it's me. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm not just like signing by my name, like plagiarizing like yeah, tens of these. <laughs> yeah, thanks guys. Yeah, I was just like, I don't know, fascinating. But um, so um, I was just doing it. And 
you know, and now people on Instagram probably more so know me for that writing versus my photography. Only the last six months or so, I've started including my actual photography work on my feed mm-hmm. because it's akin to a business card, and I have to because people won't even go to your website. Yeah. Um. So awesome. just for so, money, uh, survival sake. <laughs> oh, just say the website because it's the photographs are amazing. Oh, thanks. It's um, my name, S-E-H-E-R dot C-O. Yes. Um, Go to the website, please. (laughs) And uh, so now it's like this thing. And for whatever reason, specifically this year, even though my Instagram started growing, I think, last year, year before. But I spend inordinate times on Instagram and I don't even really (laughs) like it. You know, and it's like I unfortunately have come to the place where I have to say it's an addiction and I I don't feel good about it. And I don't. And it's like so that's why it's like I think about it so much because it takes up so much of my time. Mm -hmm. And but then it's also wrapped up in stuff that I care about, because what I'm putting out there is like my real thoughts or my real feelings or my whatever. And it's tied to like work I'm trying to expand into beyond photography and and exploring. And so it's both valuable and harmful to me at the same time, you know? And so in that it's, it's pretty, that's, that's why it's hard to distill into any one specific anecdote because it's, it's something that I'm really materially utilizing both for my own growth and exploration and that of helping other people or inspiring other people, whatever you want to call it. And then, but it's just so, it's so wrapped up in my own shit too, by virtue of the type of psychological fuckery that relationships with platforms like Instagram can bring up. And to bring up maybe not a recent specific thing but again more macro but it's a specific anecdote Mm -hmm. i still have an energy worker that i work with weekly um as of the last few years and before that i was with a therapist for about seven years until maybe a couple years ago so maybe several months back at the top of this year um my energy worker was like yep you're addicted to instagram i was like okay fine and then, um, <laughs> you know, she was looking at, you know, my energetic field and she was like, yep, this really ties back to um, a theme of yours of feeling um, like you need to belong. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just feeling like you need to belong. Like, oh, and I think that that can, we didn't, I think maybe we did talk about it, but it was a while ago, so I can't remember the details. And ultimately we, you know, we move beyond talking. We just work on the energy because it's again, it's what's happening in your body, like energetically transcends the mind. The mind can only do so much. So, um, but what I can extrapolate from that now, you know, just freestyling is that, okay, I'm, you know, my addiction to Instagram, I'm specifically addicted to it. Like otherwise would have 
all held constant. I would have otherwise had a normal relationship with it because of my need to belong. My need to belong in, I think it means my need to feel seen by people Mm -hmm. and not only feel seen by people, but for my truth to feel seen by people, but for my truth to be understood by people, perhaps even my truth to be celebrated by people. Maybe then going back to the ego thing of like needing to be really big so I can get really, really, really validated that my truth is the most awesome one, you guys. (laughs) You know, and so like, um, I think that that's, you know, part of it. And then I think that, the need to belong is also really wrapped up in I've been this is like it's another one but like I as a child I was very 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 gregarious outgoing and for most of your childhood but yeah from from for my childhood for mm-hmm. my entire let's okay. say my entire childhood and but successively over time I it was, it was various parts of the freedom, innocence, and bigness and extroversion of my personality was more or less beat out of me, whether it was out of, mm. you know, adults or peers. And in various ways, I... And it looked different ways from when I was, like, even, you know, four or five years old to preteen to teenager to... Um, early adulthood in my my late teens and 20s and I think and then I went through I realized that probably from age roughly 15 to 25 I was like cyclically depressed Mm -hmm. and I didn't really know I wasn't didn't really know slash wasn't ready to name it until my mid to late 25 I think that's when I started therapy I think um but so it was cyclic from, no, it was cyclic from like 15 to 25 and then 25 to 27, it was just down. It was no up, it was just mm. down. Mm. I remember telling people that I was hard pressed to tell people that I was happy even two days in a row. It's just, maybe I'd get one day. It wouldn't even ever be in like successive days. So then at 27, I started therapy. So anyway, why I mentioned that is to say from 25 to 27, that just continual down period with all my socialization and trauma that I experienced that had already snuffed out much of my personality. What happened from 25 to 27 is I became um, extremely reclusive, like depressive, just classic. Like my friends would try to drag me out to like a club or a bar or whatever. I'd go on with like a dark colored hoodie, literally put it over my big ass hair and like sit in a corner for 30 minutes, like say what's up to like a couple people like yo, and then and then be out. Like I just didn't want to be seen. I didn't, just whatever. And so what I think that did is it kind of, I remember in college, I took the Myers-Briggs test. It's a personality type test that I'm sure many people are aware of, including you guys. And I was barely on the extroversion spectrum. I was mm. just in the middle, just to extrovert. And I think what that depressive period did to me is because I've taken it a few times over the last few years, it put me just at introvert. So now probably for the last decade, 25 to 35, I've been slightly more on the introverted Mm. side. And so I've always kind of in the last decade been more introverted now. But what's happened in these last few years that I've been experiencing just a lot of deep personal spiritual metaphysical existential shifts within myself i've been just doing a lot of 
energy work and things like that and just mm-hmm. becoming much more sensitized to um certain things within myself and actually even uh, out there in the world um just much more keenly perceptive of of people of their motivations of vibes and spaces more than before and it's it's a lot and it's also really really transformed and made confusing my existing relationships in my life so effectively i've been like more than ever a hermit and recluse the last few years so i think that going back to what we were talking about belonging mm-hmm. another thing that's wrapped up into there is i'm really alone all the time and there's a desire to like just have people that get me so it's not even like the the just the base human level of like wanting mm-hmm. to be seen but it's like kind of feel like i have no one sometimes you know and that so yeah appreciate you sharing that yeah That you said um, that you even mentioned the the length of things because it was something that was more so like you said an aesthetic and like spatial constraint choice. Um, that is what it was. But with that, I like. I mean, I'm sure as you and anyone that's listening can tell, I'm I'm, I'm very verbose and I just kind of I'm I'm figuring I'm. Speaking as I'm figuring things out, like people will often say, it's like, I can see like your brain's working at the same time. And um, so I think that it's a fascinating thing for someone like me that can speak with so many words and often does to, to just distill. I like the contrast of profundity and simplicity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because a lot of what I share comes from a really just like literal realizations oftentimes it just literally pop into my head and it's just the word you can say from like a spiritual metaphysical standpoint like a download even oftentimes and the thing is i i've qualified myself many times through the podcast being like i'm not really studied in da 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 i'm not really and i think that's important because a lot of us walk around positing like we know fucking everything and we don't i especially don't and the thing is that I actually think I find it intimidating to say too much about any one thing because I don't feel like I know enough about it. And two, I think that there is, again, a real profundity in simplicity. And in fact, people can then insert their own truth or vantage point into that thing. And they are almost um, intentionally vague or broad because i think that's what the truths of the universe are Mm. it's more than the the mind can comprehend and oftentimes i find myself writing things or downloading things that don't even fully make sense i don't even know i'm like this isn't even grammatically correct or this does this is paradoxical i'm like great (laughs) you know and it's just like i want us to like live in these more vague spaces so i appreciate you saying that because it's inspirational because whether people are prefacing their expertise on something or not and you do it because you're humble in those regards it's still like your aphorisms or fragments fragmentations and 
hopefully are inspiring people to say, I haven't fully thought out this thought, but yet I'm still going to express myself because there's a million fl- thoughts flooding to, in, into my brain, your brain. It might be a benefit like, if I get this one out. Yeah. If it one looks more like a poem and one looks more like just like, oh, well, like it's out. It might inspire some people. Hell, you got followers. It's definitely um, it's definitely a beautiful thing when. And so since they're so authentic because they come from who you are and like you obviously have your introspection that feeds your words that you put down, um, you know, while the heart and the mind are connected, they're also two very different worlds. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there a different energy or feeling when you approach a new creation, heart heavy versus brain heavy? So it's so cool that you said heart and mind are very different things because, um, let's see, I think it's within Buddhism and then also within Taoism. Um, I know very little from, about uh, Buddhism because I went on a couple retreats and then like silent retreats and they do like, mm-hmm. spe- you know, like speaker sessions throughout. And then I have a little bit more of a, a lean or affinity towards Taoism um, which is what Qigong is born out of. And Qigong, a lot of people on Instagram might have seen that I um, practice that and I teach monthly donation-based um, workshops at Heal House. Yay, Black-owned and in Clinton Hill. And um, so also within Taoism, they um, have a concept of something called the heart-mind. So the idea is that the heart and mind are are really collapsed into one entity and the real and our real intelligence actually resides in our heart or heart mind and taking it a a further step um, within uh, Taoism. So Qigong is an ancient um, Chinese energy practice um, born out of Taoism, but rooted in traditional Chinese medicine. So that's also traditional Chinese medicine is what acupuncture is based on. And um, traditional Chinese medicine and Taoism are also based around just the, uh, the flow of the nature and the five phase elemental flow and how they all complement and support each other. So um, another concept within Taoism is how they're like chakras. Um, that people might be familiar with the seven chakra system that's popular in the West and used in yoga. Analogous to that is, um, are the Dantians, which are three main energy centers uh, used in Qigong, Taoism, traditional Chinese medicine. And it's the upper Dantian, which is the head, the middle Dantian, which is the heart, and the lower Dantian, which is kind of the Um, the belly area. And each of those are actually said to have their own intelligences. And um, I I imagine slightly different nature of intelligences, which I can't really speak to. But to me, so then again, going back to your question, Tommy, I feel like there is, like I was even talking about therapy and things like that. there is a bodily intelligence that we have, you know, our energy work, right? And so, or that there's only so much that the mind can really do. And so I'll preface with that. And then to more, 
more explicitly answer your question, I think that when I find if I'm working, creating art from my mind, it's, it's artificial and not honest mm. most often of the time. And, and maybe ego driven and are actually much more likely to be ego driven. And when I'm creating from my heart or my heart, mind, or my bo- just overall body intelligence, um, just the existential intelligence, um, that's when it is more honest. It's easier. It's more fluid. Um, it's mm. more resonant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's devoid of ego. It's it's just more humble. And uh, yeah, so it's like I feel like there's almost opposite. Like when I'm mm-hmm. using my mind, there's a strain. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't mean that mind has no value. But I I think they it's their mind body or mind heart are meant to have a complementarity right and so i think the mind is really great in executing in logis and logistics and necessary analysis not unnecessary which i do a ton of um and then the heart is really great for creation i think it's better for creation than the mind personally Um, something that just before we get too far away from it, when talking about um, sort sort of existing in this space of fragments and and like intentionally keeping those vagities, um, mm-hmm. something that I, I've and I I just want to hear your thoughts on this. Something that I think about a lot is like in this in our dominant culture of American white supremacy, that particular brand reductionism is really like one of the pillars that I like often think about like a way to reduce something to its exact Mm -hmm. um, or really label it in an exact way and not let it live in ambiguity. Um, How how does art and healing exist in that finding strength or power in that, that vague, that ambiguity kind of space? Does that make sense? Yeah, we'll create something also and, and say, I don't know what this is. Even yeah, though you're yes. like, you, you also, it's your work, you're putting out there to the public, it's your career, and still being able to say, I don't even know what this is. And not because you're trying to be facetious, but like genuinely. Yeah, no, okay, so how you guys like tied it up now, I get it. And I think actually it ties really great to your last question, Tommy. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> and um, about heart and mind, right? So it's the mind that's gonna get caught up in it doesn't make sense because what doesn't it make sense to? It doesn't make sense to the mind because it doesn't fit within a construct that exists that we know that we can deconstruct or um, label or quantify, qualify with our mind, mm-hmm. right? So again, it comes back to um, body intelligence um, and ener- like energetic intelligence and 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 trusting uh, the feelings and feelings and knowings and the intuition and um the vision that goes beyond the mechanical mind right so it can talk about things like okay, intuition everyone knows right gut feeling everyone knows then maybe like another layer or level of that for those familiar or resonant with the concept of chakras is like the third eye right the third mm-hmm. eye is like other like dimensional seeing right um and this knowing 
And then with that, born out of that um, type of connectedness can be, you know, clairvoyance. And they're actually, I found out over the last couple of years, there are things like clairvoyance is clear seeing. The clear audience, clear hear, uh, clear hearing, mm. clear cognizance, clear knowing, clear sentience, clear feeling. I think they're like five, four or five. Audience, cognizance, sentience, voyance. Taste. <laughs> yeah, there was taste, but I don't think there's one for taste. Right. You got it. And this is, yeah, whatever. So I think those are the ones. And so, for instance, so for that clairvoyance, which we all know, clairvoyance is going to be like you're seeing, um, again, kind of like a download is just popping in out of nowhere yeah. images. You know, you're seeing a painting or you're, you're seeing a film of something happening or whatever. Um, clear audience is some, you're actually hearing some words, you know, maybe what I'm getting with the the poem quote things are like, they're just coming in. But I think it's also like a, a little bit of a mixture of something called clear cognizance, which is just like a sudden knowing like, oh, I just know this, right? Yeah. And then clear sentience being that, that felt sense, right? Of like, you just, you feel something in your body and it tells you something, right? Um, so those are different types of intelligences and knowing and right. um, feeling, seeing, sensing. And that go beyond the mechanical mind. So I think that how it can be okay for us to be okay with putting things out in the world that not are, are not necessarily incomplete, like incomplete. It's just that we think that they're incomplete, right? It's, it's, it's separating the idea that the mind is the only, um, a valid um, evaluation tool, the only valid decider, the only valid knower. It's it's actually giving weight to other forms of knowing. It's yeah. also giving weight to the knowing of the unknown, of like just the concept of like, and it's funny enough, <laughs> I got it off the boondocks, but I still use it, <laughs> is you don't know what you don't know. It was like some like... <laughs> Yeah, it was a funny episode. <laughs> but you yeah, you don't know what you don't know and really just like giving into to that idea because that in and of itself is a knowing. Um mm -hmm. I just think that so I mean I, taking this further I can take it to like the idea of um the masculine and the feminine and I know that that can be a, that duality or binary can be a turnoff for a lot of people and so I speak about that within the concept of yin and yang energetically. And if you don't even want to think about it as yin and yang, just think about it as duality, just period duality and give it A and B, like whatever you want to call it. Um, but I do happen to speak about it within yin and yang masculine feminine because I happen to feel comfortable with those terms. But mm -hmm. this duality of um, what's, uh, and again, for ease sake, we are organized as a society and and not only as a society, but globally, ultimately um, exalting the masculine and the masculine ways of being. And yin and yang, masculine, feminine reside within all gender identities, all mm -hmm. beings, all things, plants, animals, everything. And so, yes, yeah, so we're, we're raised to exalt the masculine so much to the point that we have something called toxic masculinity and just like really fucked up patriarchy, right? And yep. so 
with masculine qualities, masculine is actually things like linearity, like logic, for example. And not that those things are bad, but they are hyper, like, you know, exalted, whatever. And things like non-linearity, creativity, formlessness, you know, the not knowing, the, the fuzzy, is the feminine and it happens to be that the feminine is that that is what's been squashed and oppressed and abused Mm -hmm. so if we were to actually societally shift Mm -hmm. to me feminism isn't about the female bodied or the female identifying or femme person it is about the feminine aspects or the yin aspects yin is feminine and yang is masculine or if we're gonna do yin is a and masculine is b like the a aspect whatever you want to call it aspects within all of us we all have yin and yang within us and so it's about creating harmony and balance it isn't about Mm -hmm. that linear and logic is bad and creativity and non-linearity is good they're both good and they both have higher and lower vibrational expressions to them that's the thing so on Instagram, a friend of mine posed a, co- a question about is there toxic femininity? And I was so excited because I was like, I'm the only one that I've ever known uses that term. So to give an example of toxic masculinity versus toxic femininity and the higher and lower vibrational expressions of different things. So take um, a masculine trait of um, strength and assertiveness, let's say, right? That, as we all know, there are positive ways that those can exist in the world. Use your imagination. And then from there, the lower vibrational expression of something like that would be abuse, tyranny, right? It's strength, but it's a distortion of strength, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then on the feminine side, you could take something like fluidity, gentleness, right? So let's take fluidity first. Fluidity can be beautiful, but then a lower vibrational aspect of that might be like just haphazardness and confusion and directionless, directionlessness, kind of just like aimless, you know? And then um, gentleness also can be this beautiful, healing, wonderful thing. A lower vibrational aspect of it or uh, expression of it could be meekness and victimhood, right? Allowing the gentleness to be distorted and taken advantage of because gentleness can both exist with strength, right? Mm-hmm. higher yeah. vibrational gentleness with higher vibrational strength you can be gentle and strong at the same time right and so so mm. toxic femininity can look like some of those things that i just said on that side furthermore toxic femininity could also look like a term called a spiritual bypassing and that idea is something where um again in this kind of new agey culture where we um can just get people can get really really caught up in the spiritual just like think of like a quintessential stereotypical hippie that they're just like all out, like just out there. They're in their head. They're not on the ground ever. And they're like doing all these things that they're saying is in the name of healing, but they're actually somehow harming people or they're not, they're so aloof in their spirituality that they aren't aware of like what's actually happening in their home or in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a way of like being too much in the, the spiritual formless, yin you know realm in a sense not that spirituality is only yin but again in this formless yeah not not um grounded in the body realm right so that can be a form of toxic femininity too taking 
the etheric and just being a fairy and like letting everyone else die and like be in pain, right? So why I mention all of this again is to bring us back now again to, I think that the, the way to being able to value, being able to put the ambiguous, put the fragment, put the quote unquote incomplete and not, and, and go so far as to be like, hey, I'm not even gonna call that incomplete. It just is, right? Yeah, right. That is going to happen and going to happen successfully if, if and when we shift as a society more to equilibrium between the duality mm-hmm. of masculine, feminine, yin and yang. Mm. And, and coming into more, again, into the yin is going to allow us to be comfortable and reverent of, of the undefined. It might be like, well, these these millions of thoughts, uh-huh. a lot of them have to do with you create you wanting to create something or be inspired or perhaps motivated to create anything, really, whether it's go shoot something with your camera or write something or facilitate. You you know, the jumble, you said two years is you've been dealing with like excessive jumbling of thoughts and ideas. How do you on and off, yeah. Yeah, like does that does that take you to a place of an over, overwhelming state that you prefer not to be in? Or does it like get mm. you to a place to choose a, a thing yeah. to create? Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't call that as much like um, just consciousness itself drive me crazy. Cause I look at that as like the idea of consciousness or existence period. And I wouldn't say that that phrase that way. I don't think that that drives me crazy. Um, but yeah, uh, if if you want to kind of pivot to talking about where, I mean, it's the world making you have. At the end of the day, it's the world and people. And I don't know if it's as much as the world. Universe making you think of all these things, or what's making you know. I th- I think that it's uh, it's my my kind of internal alchemical process that's happening right now. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I think it's my my relationship to or within the universe, right? So if we look at the universe or consciousness in relation to humanity, for example, I think of all of us are comprised of that consciousness. And in essence, we are all that consciousness, right? So I was raised to believe in kind of a hierarchical God, like God and then the people. And I don't even really use the word God anymore personally, because to me it connotes the hierarchy. And to me, it's a little bit more of a flattened thing. And within that, I wouldn't call it a hierarchy, but there are levels or vibrations of consciousness, but we are all attached to or part of that, which has levels of consciousness, right? Um, Including the highest level of consciousness. It is not separate from us. It is in fact us, even if we don't feel like the 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 highest expression of the divine in this human state because that's the other thing in being contained in a human body and um even something like um expressing through vocalization and talking it actually physically reduces our vibrational state so we can only be with physical bodies from guess you can kind of say from like a scientific metaphysical standpoint we can only be we can only vibrate at a certain level contained within our bodies. But that doesn't mean that we aren't part of the greater consciousness. So 
I think, yeah, I don't think that it's the, the world doing or, or the universe doing anything to me. I think it's just me being a microcosm of the vastness mm, and thinking about, that. you know, and not, not thinking about that again. It's, it's more of a, it's more of a, a, a sensation. It's a feeling uh-huh. there, there is thought that is then born out of that, you know, um, in, in response or reaction to that. But it's just like, it's almost like a state of being. Like, I feel like, I mean, if you think about like, I think I really love like sci-fi and fantasy and it's like a lot of times I'll, I'll retreat and escape into that because like the world just feels like something that's challenging for me to relate to sometimes. So like, you know, superpowers and things like that, or like someone going on like a hero's journey and, you know, Marvel, anything, discovering that they have like a superpower or like this way of perceiving and like everything's different now. It's like, you can almost liken it to that in a sense of like, oh, all of a sudden, like my intuition or my third eye has opened and now I can like really, you know, see into like cut to the core of like what someone's like intention is or like who they're about. I mean, it's not a hundred percent hit rate, but like it's, it's grown a lot where I can like a lot of times see other people's truths markedly more and more distinctly and clearly than they even can. And that's sensitive type of information because oftentimes that can't be spoken, whether that's someone close to you or a stranger, but then you're reacting to that and you can't then exist within a lie if you're feeling like you're getting something off that person that's not really working for you but they might not even perceive it so then i mean so that's like one thing of it that's like a relational aspect of it but then it's like okay here's something that i feel like a lot of people will be able to relate to easily like when someone gets like really acute anxiety or a panic attack you know how you like feel it all in your body and you're just thoughts, thoughts, thoughts. And you're just like, you know, whatever's happening, your breathing's getting harder or like you just feel dizzy or whatever. When you have a certain sensation that's felt all throughout your body. Right. So I think it's not exactly that, but analogous to that, just having a certain whole body sensation that's kind of pinging different parts of you. So it's pinging your body, it's pinging your brain, it's pinging your emotional you know, way of feeling and all these different things. And so in that sense, there's an overload at times of feeling within my internal universe, Mm -hmm. Um, an overload of thinking and thoughts and ideas. Like it's just, it's, it's, it looks so many different ways. And I think that's another reason why I end up being to myself so much is because I'm still parsing through myself so much that I don't even know how to relate to people all the time and then i don't know know how to yeah it's just like it's i have so much on my own that i'm figuring out like i don't even know how to do with people do you ever feel like there's are you ever feeling things that you feel like you shouldn't be feel shouldn't be feeling Mm, i mean because whatever you know it's a exchange of like okay if you're alone and then there's like connectivity Mm -hmm. to humanity and things stream in i'm just trying to you know come back to like when you said about feelings um that can be part of that you know close to your analogy for everyone else anxiety but whatever's going on here mm-hmm. when you mentioned feelings is it like i mean i just know that i if i've ever overwhelmed with thoughts for instance i'm like i don't need to be thinking about this right now you know is that That's ever true. the case with feelings like i don't need to be feeling about feeling mm-hmm. 
right now because it's <sighs> shit it takes time all of this takes time right yeah hmm i think with a thought thing i think that that's a good point and i think that it's hard to explain so i feel like a lot of times probably when i getting overwhelmed with thoughts it probably is a function of me not doing things that can center me like doing my practice like qigong practices or meditation type of stuff that will center me because that again takes you out of your body and then you're residing too much in your head so i do think that there are times where i can regulate calming the mind down mm. but at certain times there is a mm. more of a sensory sensation going on and it doesn't necessarily result in an overwhelm of the mind the mind is trying to figure it out and assess it but it's just a general overwhelm and is it isn't quite anxiety though that might be the easiest way to explain it but it's just like an existential overwhelm because there's so much happening within me and so that one maybe i can liken to what you're talking about the emotional overwhelm but it's not an emotional overwhelm like oh my god i'm really 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 sad about this thing that happened or I'm really, really devastated about the state of humanity isn't quite linear like that. It's again, it's kind of existential. Yeah. And so in that sense, what I would say, which is actually the opposite of what I, I said that how I'd approach the mind is that I one thing that I learned a couple years ago when I was doing my uh, going through just a really, really major transformational period is that it's really, really important to allow feelings that are arising and particularly those seen conventionally as negative feelings or challenging feelings to exist and not to exist in the sense of letting them fester and like, um, and, uh, feeding into them. Right. So if you're con I, uh, familiar with the concept of mindfulness, um, within meditation, it's the idea of witnessing them with neutrality. And then you can, you know, go a step beyond mindfulness and, and then also, um, infuse uh, compassion and love into that right so that was really really transformative for me i was devastated of you know about some stuff that was going on with me and i would allow mm -hmm. myself to fall down on the floor like someone had been you know crying like someone had died and i would not only allow it to exist in me but i would allow it to be present in its full presence i would in fact invite it i'd be like oh anger Oh, devastation. Oh, stat. Okay. All right. Let's, let's put it up at full power so it can exist. So it can be welcomed. So it can be free and not judged and, and in fact loved. So then in that expression, it finds its freedom and then it moves through you. And the thing is it does require momentary discomfort to feel that thing. But ultimately that, that is a cleansing. That's literally a cleansing and that's a form of of medicine to yourself in, mm. in a way. And so I would say that suppressing feelings is, is never a good thing. Um, and if something's coming up, whether it's anxiety or, or any, any type of emotion to allow it and invite it. And granted, you know, if you're out on the train or in public or whatever, sometimes you, you might have to improvise and do a modified version of, you know, some sort of visualized release, or you might have to pause it and, try to bring it up and do it later or not. I mean, yeah. So the emotion thing is an interesting one. Cause I know that when emotions are coming up or sensations are coming up there, they're actually messages mm -hmm. 
from our body and from our subconscious mm. um, on a on a metaphysical energetic level that are are telling us that something needs to be released. And sometimes we'll get insight into what is being released, but we actually, again, our mind doesn't even have to know what's being released. As things release, 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 it's um, it's just naturally raising our vibration. And as our vibration raises, we have more access to this body metaphysical intuitive intelligence that will then just naturally tune us in into a, a wiser, more loving existence. That's one mm. thing that I found um, a really powerful distinction between therapy and um, energy work. Therapy was really helpful in getting my mind to understand the constructs that I was living within or create, created for myself and my trauma and conditioning and patterning. But what energy work did is like, we, like I said, we try to move out of conversation as quickly as possible. And sometimes we don't even have it and go straight into the body. And so what that does is again, going back to the idea of integration with therapy, we start in the mind and hope to then get to the emotions and then get to some form of integration with energy work. You're automatically, you're, you're from jump. You're just, you're clearing out and transforming the energy thereby much more quickly able to integrate because it's happening on like a cellular energetic body level. So it's like, there's something different between your mind knowing something and your body. Like, you know, when you just know something with your whole body. So it's like when you're, when you're getting out that anger, you don't have to know that it was from, you know, some sort of abuse or betrayal in childhood, just that being gone, all of a sudden you'll just realize or might not realize, but some way that you're operating in your life that that thing was holding you back in, you're operating with it in total fluidity and in a totally different way now. So. Yes, thank you, because for learning, you know, it's a blessing. The, a blessing of a conversation is learning how to look at and listen and hear things in a way that you're telling us. It's a makes you wonder because uh, again aloneness I, I don't know like I think something's wrong with me because I just really enjoy being alone but then you talk about it and it's like I'm just we can get two people in a room for two hours at a time then I think we're getting somewhere um, do you want to talk about testimonies from the table sure I can bit? give you like a little yeah because um, I just think it's it's awesome what I read, what I've read up on is awesome. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So testimonies from the table. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah. So what I really enjoy about that, and I think that that's a great uh, project to touch on within the intersection of art, media, culture, healing, and social impact, and, you know, and, and the intersections that you address on um, the Weapon of Choice podcast is for me, it is at this point in time, the one project that I've done when I did, um, when I was able to personally decide that this is the pivot that I wanted to go towards since then, which was only two, three years ago, it's the really the only project that I've done that encapsulates everything at that intersection. And it came to me actually, um, um, right after that uh, top of last year. So yeah, right after that really deep healing period that I had. And it was really just um, 
I just feel like the universe delivered that to me. It was really beautiful how, how it happened, similar to how you shared your flight and um, housing situation story with me. So <laughs> it was just really cool. And so um, it was a project that was commissioned by Red Bull um, Music Academy and Mac um, on the culture team at Red Bull was a really great person who super supportive on it and um, really let me do whatever I wanted. And so I can see from the, they were just like, you know, Mac was like, hey, just looking at your Instagram, it seems like um, looking at our Red Bull Media, uh, Music Academy festival that they have in New York every year. It's like a month long of um, like uh, music and culture programming that they do. They do the festival in a few other cities too. And so, um, they were like, hey, the, from what we have on our calendar, Solange is doing a performance at the Guggenheim, looking at your Instagram. We feel like what she's on and what you're on will kind of vibe. Do you have a creative project that you want to come um, and do just um, in celebration of, you know, and kind of tied to this performance that we're putting on? Mm-hmm. I said, of course. <laughs> and initially I had thought that, you know, First thing that comes to mind is like, oh, you know, this this album is all, you know, all about empowerment for um, black women and, you know, by association, women of color resonated with it very much, too. And me being a woman of color, I was like, oh, I'll just do like a woman of color project. And then immediately after that, I was like, no, I feel like even though women of color, you know, um, resonate with it, I, I feel like it was abundantly clear you know that Solange made the project for black women it wasn't like no one else could enjoy it but it was it was her you know kind of love letter as far as I'm concerned to black women and I think that there's something really important to to recognize about that and so I was like you know what no I'll do the project about black women I was like wait that's weird I'm not a black woman that might be really awkward and then I I was like what if people you know take it the wrong way I was like no I like that it's awkward I'm going to do it because it's awkward, mm. you know, and unexpected. Like, why, you know, because I don't think any, you know, for the most part, like, unless I'm sharing a background like I'm right now, people don't necessarily know that I was given kind of carte blanche to come up with whatever I wanted as a project. And I from, you know, com- like the very beginning conceived of it by myself. And so, you know, if you, one were to know that, it might be kind of like, wait, well, even more so, like, why did she choose to do it about black women? And so why I like the, the discomfort or the awkwardness or the unpredictability about it is that I think as human beings, we have a tendency to proactively align ourselves with social causes um, if we see ourselves in that story or to advocate for social causes if we, if we somehow can see ourselves there. And it, that doesn't necessarily have to be our literal selves, but it needs to be like, oh, I have like a black cousin or a black, you know, child or, or whatever, you know, but what about, you know, um, uh, and I think that that's a problem. And so, and why I think it's a problem is because I think it's beautiful that we all have um, cultures and, and we look different and think different and talk different, all the things. Um, after 9-11, there was a quote in the Quran that a lot of people would quote, and I was involved in Muslim Student Associations at the time. 
Um, and the quote that would be used when it was like all these hate crimes towards, you know, Muslims and a lot of, um, right. you know, discrimination towards Muslims and all this distortion of the Quran and all these things. A, a quote that was often used was, um, we have created from the Quran, we have created you into nations and tribes so you may know one another. And I, it was overused to the point that people were just like, and like within the Muslim community it was like, that's the only, can it find another verse? Um, but mm-hmm. I still remember that now because it's set, such few words, but it says so much to me. Mm. It's saying we, mm. we, we've created, we meaning God, the higher power, right? That, that was such a fascinating concept to me. You know, it's like that we, culture has been created, nations have been created, different ways of being have been created. So you may know one another. And to me, what that means is that we're, if we were to posit that our differences are simply so we can partake in cultural appreciation Mm -hmm. and just observe and partake in different ways of being and bask in the beauty of that and learn from that and grow from that. That's amazing, right? So that then also says to me, that we have created you into nations and tribes so you may know one another means that that's literally it. Means that y'all are exactly the same. We just did this so y'all can have some like flavor up in here. You know what I mean? Like that's what, that's what that says to me. Mm. And I think, yeah. And so, and then put, now putting that aside for a second, I mean, as, as trite or, um, or, you know, Whatever it is, trite as it is, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of another word too. Uh, we're all just human beings. We're all the same as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned. And um, the unfortunate fact is that that's not how we're treated and that's not what actually happens in the universe and the world. And so for me, the, the concept, and I don't know the exact quote, and I don't think I even necessarily knew it was a quote until later on, until all of us are free, none of us are free. So long as any one of us is, you know, oppressed, all of us are oppressed, that whole thing. I really, really believe that because again, it goes back to the existential um, crisis and ache of the human condition, which is how we started, you know, Mm -hmm. this talk about what is going on is because of the pain that resides in the universe, the subconscious of the universal consciousness of which we are all part of. It's because of the pain that resides in all of our collective ancestry. And even though we may on, from a biological standpoint, have, um, you know, literal biological ancestral lineages at the end of the day, if you really look at like time as a construct and as an illusion and all this shit, like many of us have been probably like a billion different like races and past lives and all that, if you, if you choose to believe that. And so at the end of the day, everything is everything. And so for me, I wanted to do this project to be like, I had a chance to insert myself into that conversation in literal terms, but Hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to actually pour all my heart into doing this project for people that aren't literally biologically me in this body, you know? Um, and I, and it still has something to do with me Mm -hmm. because it actually has to do with all of us. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was the decision upon which I made the project about black women only. Um, and I, I really wanted that to be 
hopefully some sort of source of inspiration to people. And I realize I'm talking mm-hmm. about this project as if everyone knows what it is. So what the project um, is, is it's a, a, a handmade book, scrapbook style book that was gifted to Solange um, with 61 testimonies from black women. Each woman has a page um, with two Polaroid style portraits of her and uh, two separate really short form um, prose-like um, testimonies. Mm-hmm. And so one is more focused around how she views her challenges as a black woman in America. And then the other one is more around how she views her healing as a black woman in America. And that structure, yeah. all, all of that was um, something that was very intentional. And so it is taking the narrative into literally in, to, to the mouths of the, the women that it's about. I was a conduit and kind of a facilitator for it, but that was really important too in me not being of that mm-hmm. population for, for me to not co-opt a narrative, but for me to be a facilitator of a narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's 61 different perspectives of 61 different black women about what it's like to be a black woman in America, both from the vantage point of their challenges and their healing. And it's, it's really powerful. I learned quite a bit from reading it i and and the day that we did we um because of the different you know compressed deadline that i had mm-hmm. all 61 women were photographed in one day Ooh. in this apartment we had a writing room in here and the studio was in my bedroom and i'm a virgo so i freaking made that shit work um but yeah and it was it was a lot of pre-production work a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, po- I, I had um, help with, um, had, I think, uh, three or four different women that acted as advisors to Project Black Women. It was mm-hmm. right after the Pepsi thing, and everyone was talking oh. about, well, there are not any black people in that room. And I was like, okay, I'm just like, I'm pretty sure I'm, what I'm doing is all right, but like, I want to have, mm-hmm. you know, like just second set of eyes, third set of eyes going over everything I'm doing, just to like make sure everything looks all right. So I had some um, black women that were friends that played advisor roles on the project for that sake and also supported me um, on some integral um, pre-production aspects. Also had a bunch of people helping me on site um, on the day um, of of the shoot and the writing. We actually had like all these papers and, you know, all these materials and they were writing all the women wrote on their pages that day, too. And then I sequenced it. Um, the next morning and sent it to the book binder. It was like, it was, it was, it was insane. So it was like, (laughs) um, you know, even though I had, um, some really, really great help at the end of the day, it, it was very much a solo project and it was a lot of work to do, um, in, you know, a relatively short time period. So, um, Oh, why I brought up the day and the production of itself. So there were 61 women Mm -hmm. here in my apartment on, um, um, we, I broke it up into like five, six, seven different shifts throughout the day. But at the peak of the day, some people were straggling and some people were, you know, whatever. It was a lot of people were here at once because of stuff. And um, there were maybe like 30 people. Or there was a lot of people. And I had like extra, I had like a color scheme. Um, I wanted everyone to wear like shades of like nude or beige. And... Um, it's like, oh, in case people don't have anything, I had a couple of tops out, you know, laid out if people needed to change into cl- other clothes. 
And so there were women like just sprawled out everywhere. And they were like <laughs> writing on the pages. Mm-hmm. Some people were like painting their nails. Some people had headphones on and were writing. Some people were like seeing old friends. And they're like, I didn't know you're going to be here. Seeing, making new friends, all these things. And I was just like, this is so cool. It just was like Black Girl Summer Camp. And I um, left the apartment after everything was over for the day, got dinner and came back. And the I, I was in my bedroom the whole time. So I was just shooting people in rapid succession. I had like, we had a 30 minute lunch break, but it was like 10 hours, I don't know, many hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I came out and no one was here. And I just like, even when everyone is here, it was an incredible, beautiful energy, that vibrancy. But when I came, it was like this profound calm and just magic in the space. It was so like energetically, you could tell that something had happened, not only happened, but something had shifted. So for me, that day and that moment coming back and feeling like, oh, we did something. Right. Because it was the project was not only for the women to experience healing through their own, um, you know, unpacking and sharing and creation of their narrative, but also um, in the community that were they were going to create with each other and just that experience. And then obviously the the healing, you know, and learning that people were going to extract from actually reading the book. So mm. that's I mean, that's that's it was really special to me again. Um because it was an opportunity to really combine every single touch point of, of the intersections sure. that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. So, so testimonies from the table, that title is an accompaniment to Solange's album, A Seat at the Table. Yes. Yeah, obviously like a homage to that. Right. Yeah. What are you tired of hearing? Huh? self-care <laughs> I, want, I wanted to like say something that like it was a little like facetious or some people, that people wouldn't hear often I mean but in a way that there, there are a lot of articles going up nowadays about the, the certain toxicity again of the, the self-care movement or the the hollowness of it or the commercialization of it and I just feel like it's I'm tired of hearing it because it's overused to the point that it's 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 become empty and I feel like it's it's used offhandedly to a point of with that there's lacking of recognition of like what that means because it can mean so many different things. And I think that there is now a growing awareness of that it can mean um, more things, but I still think that it's just it's just it's just thrown around so still carelessly and and too much the point like with an excess that's like akin to like the excess that is like mcdonald's or a starbucks there's just it's everywhere to the point that it just loses meaning so i'm i'm sick of that word like it annoys me and it's sad that that phrase and word annoys me to that point (laughs) yeah even though it's like i i care about what it means but it means yeah. it means nothing to me and yeah. i just like want to roll my eyes at it all the yeah. time yeah it's been totally <laughs> diluted like why not do we we if we witness self care great that's beautiful can we like, like instead of using like, self care the umbrella term all the time like can we just talk about like 
what what's under what's that umbrella right. like what's yeah, the like, thing what's, instead yeah, like can we not thing? you know it's like it's just like <laughs> stay woke stay woke like so care so care like it's just like <laughs> what are we talking about you know like uh, get out and people talk about like stay woke like erica badu didn't think about it like a decade ago like you just discover that word and i'm sure she got it from somewhere like way before that and you know mm. we were slow then so like mm. anyway yeah <laughs> <laughs> when is uh when is your work most fun? Oh, wow. Um, my work is most fun, I think, when... I'll, I'll speak about it in two ways. One, it's most fun when I'm in kind of that flow state that we're, you were talking about, like, mind versus heart. When mm -hmm. I'm in the place of that, there's just flow. And it's just... It's just Mm -hmm. an ex expression that's happening and my mind isn't even really there it's sure. just it's just a, i'm existing in a different way i think that that's fun from an left with an energy coming out of that flow that's um yes afterwards but the experience in and of itself is the most the rewarding mm -hmm. so that's like the individual mm -hmm. part and then the collective part is it's it's most fun in community or even small groups or whatever when um there is there is a, a certain either breakthrough happening for one or more people or mm -hmm. a certain um unspoken resonance or energetic shift that's happening the only way that i can speak to that in more recent times is um in the um the qigong workshops that i've been teaching i've only done a handful but it's really, really cool to see when the energy in the space is shifting or when when someone has um, really resonated with a practice or had a personal breakthrough. That's it's not only fun, it's many other things, too. But one thing is that it, it is joyful and exciting for me. Hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then my website I already shared s e h e r dot c o. Go to the website, everybody. Yay! Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for talking to us today um, here in Brooklyn. Joining Weapon of Choice, we've been looking forward to talk to you for quite some time, and we appreciate all of your time. We really appreciate you guys too. Thank you, Sahar. That was wonderful. Thank you. We appreciate Sahar's time and we appreciate all your time listening when some of these podcasts go away, almost two hours even. And I don't want no excuses, y'all. We do this for y'all. We do it for us too. We do it for the culture of, you know, the archival of the work and uh, thoughts words of all of these amazing artists that we interview so we you know however you chop it up your listening experience we mm -hmm. appreciate you tuning in anytime every time as always weapon of choice podcast is a special menu production you can find more about special menu productions at our website www.specialmenuproductions.com you can find every episode of weapon of choice there and some of our film projects. Check it out. Uh, if you want to get in touch to collaborate, there's a form to there as well. 
Um, hey, and speaking of past episodes of Weapon of Choice, we're on Spotify now. We are on SoundCloud. We're always, we've always been on iTunes. Uh, you can pretty much find us anywhere that you can find any other podcasts or shows. Uh, feel free, please, 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 though, if you can subscribe on whatever platform you prefer, give us a review. We really appreciate it. It helps so, so much. That's right. Our theme music, as always made by Renee Copeland. Thank you, Renee. Right here in Minneapolis. And uh, we want to hear from y'all always. What art are you currently taking in that's giving you life, giving you hope, giving you energy, uh, just giving you inspiration to go make your own art? You can get at us, obviously, on any of the social media platforms, but also you can email us at weaponofchoicefans at gmail.com. That's weaponofchoicefans at gmail.com. All right. Hey, we love you. Let's keep chopping it up. We'll have some new episodes for you in the new year, everybody. Take care. See you then.